Hello, and welcome to the McHale Report podcast. My name is John McHale, Group Editorial Director for Military Embedded Systems and host for today's event. Our guest today is Maria Ho, Deputy Director for Government and Strategic Programs at Analog Devices Aerospace and Defense Organization. Today, we're going to chat about R for microwave tech for defense applications, engineering innovation, and a topic that is close to Maria's heart, and that's recruiting young engineering talent into the defense industry. Um, so let's get started, Maria. If we could talk a little bit about, can you please provide a brief description of your responsibility with analog devices and your and your group's role within the company? Thank you, John. Thank you for the invitation. And, you know, my group has a really unique role within ADI. Um, we work strategically with uh, the science and technology stakeholders in the government. So, for example, we engage directly with the DOD, the government labs, and other, and other um, federally funded research and development centers. Uh, the idea is we want to provide them early access to technology and development platforms so that they can prototype quickly and really aid in the technology transition for government programs. Um, you know, really having this early technology alignment also helps ADI accelerate and really tune, you know, our roadmaps for government applications. So, you know, if there's a listener out there and you're in a government lab or an R&D center, um, we'd love to work uh, more closely with you. And um, I'm going to have my shameless plug. Please email us at gov at analog.com. Great. Usually we save that for the end, but we got that wrapped up in the beginning, the email contact. Nicely, smoothly done. Um, so talking about what analog does and what people might ask you questions about on that email is, is, is RF and microwave technology and radar and electronic warfare applications, which we cover extensively at military embedded systems, depend a lot on that technology that you guys provide. So what trends are you seeing from your military customers in the radar and EW world in terms of requirements? In other words, what are they looking for from their RF and microwave designs? Yeah, we're, well, first of all, we're always looking for ways to lower swap. Um, but in addition to that, a lot of the other major trends that we're seeing um, include wider instantaneous uh, bandwidth, wider tuning ranges, um, move to higher frequencies, higher SFDR, spurious free dynamic range. And we're also seeing higher power levels um, and higher operating temperatures for all the electronics. Um, and one of the other big things that, uh, you know, we are also seeing from the application side of things is, you know, more phased array, um, both digital and hybrid phased arrays. So the higher temperature for, uh, for extreme environments, is that what you're referring to? Yes, exactly. Okay. And what about innovation? We talked, touched, I touched that on my, when I kind of briefed the audience here on what we're going to talk about. How, where is innovation happening in these applications? We always talk about the capability you're selling now. What are your engineers working on that we might see a couple of years down the road in this area of RF and microwave? That'll be a game changer for the applications we talked about and maybe also for military communications, which I know analog plays a lot in. Well, I, I can't really disclose, you know, our future product roadmaps, but I can tell you that ADI is really working hard to address many of the trends um, that I previously mentioned. Um, we're working across multiple process nodes and technologies so we can continue to improve performance um, while reducing swap. But you'll also start to notice that we're including more programmable hardened DSP functions in a lot of our latest solutions. And that really kind of helps to lower the overall solution cost and lower DC power consumption. I noticed that in um, earlier this year in, in, in San Diego at IMS, and a lot of their briefing, 
And the first thing I can raise my hand and I asked Brian Goldstein, I says, you guys are getting back into the DSP business. I remember back in the old tiger shark and hammer shark days. So, but it's not actually the same. It's kind of more, you're providing that, that functionality in your current. Absolutely. Product. Right. And when we're, what we're really trying to do is, you know, start to, um, you know, get some of these DSP functions in our overall solutions um, and uh, such as our mixed signal front, front end solutions that, um, that have been recently announced. So that's innovation side. Um, and speaking of engineering innovation, and this is something that and that Marie and I have talked about separately offline, we thought this would make a great podcast. And um, you and I had a, this long conversation and we talked about how to expand the pool of engineering talent in the U.S., especially the pool of female engineers. Uh, how do you enlarge the pool? Does it start at the college level or should we go even earlier to their high school years? How do we get them? <laughs> right. I, I definitely feel that we need to target them earlier. You know, as an industry, we really need to provide more deliberate opportunities um, and even consider modernizing the curriculum and coursework at the high school level so that we can attract and expand the pool of engineers. Uh, for example, the eighth and ninth grade summers, they're an amazing time to target uh, virtual in-person opportunities so that young women start to get a feel for what are all of the careers in engineering? And then also continue to um, keep their interest in math and science so that they can pursue higher levels of math and science curriculum. Now, continuing on that momentum towards like the 10th and the 11th grade, one of the most crucial pieces is for young women to really have the access to real hands-on internships in the specific fields of engineering. So because they they need that guidance as they are starting to pave their path towards college and beyond. Does that relate to STEM? Is STEM does it mean you're basically saying STEM needs to start even earlier than it does? Or is Absolutely. That separate Absolutely. Things? So along those lines, talking about what we need to do to get them earlier, what does ADI do to get engineering talent? Where how, how early do you guys start? Do you get them at freshman year in college? Or what more can be done and what more can you guys do? Yeah. So ADI is doing a lot in this area. And, you know, there's a lot of different vectors. We're very committed to investing in our people and their growth. Um, so we take different forms, right? So first of all, um, our normal recruitment, we utilize many of our university partnerships to attract the best talent from across the country. Um, but we also have very focused and specialized partnerships with institutions uh, such as the University of Massachusetts at Lowell. Um, where we actively recruit these students who are um, having more experience um, with the analog devices, RF microwave learning lab. Um, and we also have excellent partnerships with organizations that, you know, promote the advancement of underrepresented groups so that we can attract diverse talent to ADI. Um, as I mentioned, one of the, you know, uh, what, what's, what's near and dear to my heart is internships and ADI really has a cutting edge internship program, not only at the college level, but we're starting also at the high school level. And this is coupled tightly with a very strong mentorship program. So when these programs are linked together, the combination really contributes to better recruitment, but ultimately better retention success. You know, um, the long-term goal, you know, would be for us to be able to convert an intern into a full-time employee. You know, right now we're probably converting over 60% of our interns to full-time employees after graduation. That's pretty good because knowing the choices that they have. 
Exactly. And I've noticed, I've been in this defense industry 30 years, and I think the number of uh, women who are in senior positions, not just senior management, but senior engineering positions and engineering, young engineering has definitely increased. I've noticed it. I had a young colleague uh, who joined me. Uh, she's a journalist right out of college. She's no longer working with us, but she said to me, she was shocked. She thought there'd be less, but there was more than she thought, but I still need, there's still work to be done. Um, and what, you know, but in, in your career, um, what are the biggest challenges you faced as a woman engineer and as a woman in the defense industry and how did you overcome them? Yeah. So back in 2020, you know, the entire world participated in like the largest workplace flexibility experiment. We were all thrusted into remote, you know, work environments. And and it, and it really proved that these work environments um, being remote and hybrid were, you know, could actually be productive. Um, and in many cases, more productive. Um, women we sometimes have added responsibilities, right? And that requires additional flexibility. Um, while, while we may not be uh, interested in compromising our career paths. Um, so these days, you know, I'm really excited that, you know, many of these organizations have flexible workplace policies that may not have existed in the past, but there's still room for a lot of growth here, right? Um, one of the areas I feel that, you know, we should, we as an industry um, really need to start thinking of improving is, you know, sometimes there might be negative perceptions that someone who wants flexibility, maybe they don't want to climb up the career ladder or be assigned to, you know, the, the, the most interesting or challenging projects, which is, you know, typically not the case. Yeah, it's definitely changed the way we as employers and, and we as coworkers look at the world. I've changed my view on it. Um, and, and just recruiting, we had to recruit some folks this summer and I worked with Indeed and, and, and others and they all advised me, you got to advertise as a fully remote position or you're not going to get the best talent. So um, now that's in a journalism world. It might be obviously working different within the semiconductor manufacturing or within the defense industry or at a prime. It's a different requirements. Sometimes you have to be there. You're designing certain types of um electronic warfare. I don't think you can do it from your basement, right? Exactly. Um, as much as you might want to, it might be fun, get the whole family involved. Um, but I think, I definitely think that, I, I love what you said about um, it's changed our mindset. Everybody's had to change their mindset. And I think maybe that sped up acceptance of different ways to look at things. Might be one benefit from that pandemic. Um, but another thing that helps people, um, inspire people to be engineers is there's a lot of things that the government can do, that analog devices that can do, but sometimes it just comes down to who's in your life. So did you have an engineer or mentor who inspired you to get into defense industry or to be an engineer? Yes, actually I did. Um, um, when, so when I was starting out, which was a long time ago, um, I was really very grateful to have a female mentor who really guided me for years. Um, she was not only a role model, but she helped me navigate my life from becoming the student, now becoming the employee. She guided me how to grow within the organization. And she really personally empowered me to take chances. Um, the one-on-one -on -one mentorship, that was priceless. That was priceless. And it really helped shape my career. Um, now, I have a little bit of a different uh, uh, pathway into defense. Um, I actually spent the bulk of my career supporting the commercial industry. But there came a point where I was looking for a change in trajectory. 
you know, I, I wanted to continue to learn. I wanted to be more challenged. Um, but most importantly, what really was what I was looking for was I wanted to be in an industry that was directly making a critical impact on society. So that that really was the true inspiration for my transition to the defense industry. I think that could be a good selling point too, to recruit young engineers into the defense industry. You're making an impact. Is that crazy? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, that's probably one of the funnest things about the job is that you know that there is a direct connection um, to humanity, right? And uh, so, you know, um, that's what I was looking for. And I urge, you know, many people out there who are, you know, whether it be you're beginning your career or you're looking for transitions into your career, um, you know, this is a this is a great place to be. So, Maria, we talked about how to reach young minds through high school, through college. But is there a way we can reach them beyond school? How do we get the culture to address this uh, engineering challenge, recruitment challenge more than an engineering challenge? John, that's an excellent question. And, you know, I really feel that we have an opportunity to really expand the pool of engineers, our industry, actually our nation, right? And we need to look at it from a broad awareness perspective. When I think about public awareness, I think about Hollywood, the media and the entertainment industry, the content creators out there, they can be using their platforms to grow awareness and highlight these diverse role models in the field of engineering. So for example, I grew up in this generation of watching ER where the backdrop was a hospital. And well, that got me thinking that I wanted to go into the medical field. And then when I watched the original debut of the movie Top Gun, I imagined myself as a pilot. So these images and these role models that, that we see on the screen, they have broad-based influence, and that could encourage people of all ages, all stages of life, all different backgrounds to really pursue and consider engineering. I hear you. I watched Star Wars and wanted to be an astronaut. That didn't work out, but um, I did watch you know, all the President's Men got into journalism eventually. So we all have something that motivates us. And I think that's a great point. If they can see the people they look up to, and these kids are on video all day long, right? So if there's a chance for them to see on screen, someone solving an engineering problem or, or as the hero, heroine or hero of the story, I think that's going to make an impact. That's a really good point. Pay it forward. What advice would you give to a, a young woman trying to decide on engineering as a field today, or even getting into the defense industry that you wish someone had given you all those years ago? Yeah. And I started thinking about this question. And when I think about this question, I say, okay, in hindsight, would I do this all over again? Right. That's all, <laughs> that's, that's typically the best way to think about it. And I would. <laughs> so I would encourage every woman to consider majoring in electrical engineering. It's a well-respected, it's a well-paid field. It thrives on constant innovation it offers you a tremendous amount of career mobility. You know, every industry uses an electrical engineer. It's one of the most broad-based engineering degrees that you could possibly have because electronics, it touches everything around us. So just, you know, just as an example, right? Um, so in my more semiconductor-ish industry, right? Well, you can design and you can manufacture chips. You can be involved with test and verification. You can develop and build entire electronic systems. You can move on to business aspects like 
product and program management, even technical marketing and sales. Um, the core elements of what you learn as an engineer really allow you to solve problems. You know, you're balancing trade-offs, you're making improvements, you're inv innovating like everything around you. So there, there, there really is limitless career opportunities with an electrical engineering degree. And there's just no limit to kind of where that education can potentially take you. It can be across industries, across different roles. Um, but the base of having an electrical engineering degree, I think, has been a huge, huge lift for me in my life and my career. I, I, I see what you're saying, because a lot of the, if, for example, when in my job, when I'm talking a lot to folks at, at companies or within the defense industry, um, usually you talk to marketing folks and you talk to technical marketing folks. So if you have a feel for marketing, but you have that double E background, that technology, you can write your own ticket in that area because no one else can talk the talk, so to speak, like a true engineer. Correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when you look at my career, I, you know, you start out in a technical field and I've slowly migrated on to, you know, other aspects of the business. And, um, you know, and I, I think that that's the way careers should be, you know, um, or at least that's a good avenue because a lot of times when you're starting out, you may not know exactly what you want. Um, and this degree allows you to have that flexibility to kind of migrate and pave a path, pave your own personal path. Exactly. Well, this was fun. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we had that chat a number of months ago. I think it's turned into an excellent podcast. So that brings us to the end of this podcast. And I want to thanks for chatting with me, Maria. I, I think we I enjoyed the conversation. I think I learned a lot and I think our audience learned a lot. And I hope we've inspired some young engineers out there. Thank you so much, John, for the opportunity. Um, this is uh, definitely a near and dear, um, you know, passion within myself. And, you know, I, I, I hope to inspire many other females to pursue engineering, particularly electrical engineering. Um, and, you know, to really, you know, take a look at a lot of the opportunities that, you know, it, um, that, uh, that it could pay for them. And thanks to all of you for listening to today's McHale Report podcast. I look forward to seeing you on future broadcasts. Have a good day.